you know, genetics, geography, opportunity. And I always say opportunity is always knocking, but some of you refuse to answer the door. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. I'm looking for, I sent John a hammer. It's on the wall. It's on the uh, wall? Yep, I picked it up from an old flea market that they do at this um, state park. And so I found a guy who had, I, I, you know, hard to tell from the distance, but it was very unique and old. And uh, this guy was a retired contractor who had it from somebody else who was a contractor. So the hammer had to have been like 50 plus years old. It's interesting, bro, how things that were made long ago don't break. But anything you buy now, you know, I, I, although your your truck, I, I understand, has been having some tr- some troubles. Uh, man, <laughs> it was heartbreaking. Uh, it is it's out. But I went with an older vehicle, so now I got a 1978 Mercedes, and uh, I'm loving it. It was my first vehicle for hand me down from my dad was a 1984 Mercedes Turbo Diesel 300. So now I got a 78 300 again, but it's a coupe. It's a two door. It's a, it, it's a two door. Um, what's interesting is a kid in my neighborhood when I was in high school um, had that uh, diesel, that four door uh, Mercedes. It reminds me, you know, because I know we're going to be doing some history. Not that yes. this is like so old. Um, I'm just going to charge up the computer here. But Let early days. Oh, I thought you Rocky Four. No, early days CrossFit Journal, which I haven't like seen what's going on with CrossFit in a long time, but they would do these great videos. You know, I don't even know if YouTube was out at the time, but they went and uh, spent the day with uh, K-Star and K-Star had a Mercedes. (laughs) And he's like, you know why we're driving in a Mercedes? And I I can't remember who he was with. If it was that dude, Savan, if it was Dave Castro, He's like, because we're gangsters. <laughs> well, he's going he's gonna to flip when he sees my vehicle. Yeah, he's going to be peanut butter and jealous. Wasn't he just down with you guys a couple weeks ago? Uh, with John. So they, yeah. they spent some time together. It was weekend, and I'm in lacrosse season, so I'm, I'm out and about weekends. Similar to you, man. Yeah, deep, bro. deep into the sports realm. No free time. No life. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I mean, I can't get away from sport and especially a sport that I do love. True that, yo. True that. Right. So let's rock let's, the house. Yeah, let's man. Do it. Following our Louis Simmons episode, you reached out and I wanted to to take the opportunity to really dive into Iron Roots. Oh, so did you, you watch the, them? One or two on on Play's platform. That's but, a C. Uh, that's a C minus. There's like I know you got twenty something episodes. episodes. You watch two 24. of them. Hey. Man, f this podcast <laughs> subscription. Not for me. The uh, I'm cutting subscriptions back. The well, in essence, and going back to what you comment on the hammer, like weak weak things break, and that was a Louis quote. Yeah. But in f- we're seeing the evolution of strength and conditioning, especially 
from a coach's development perspective, like strength and conditioning is now a major in college, which blows yeah. my mind. So you got yes. all these individuals learning the the fundamentals, the principles, and then getting sent into the workforce, whether it's personal training or coaching with teams in college or the private sector. And I met a lot of these folks and I don't think they're they're prepared to coach. That's my personal opinion. Yep, and I don't, I don't think they understand the depth of the industry. While it's still young, there's a lot of important pillars in place. And you're the perfect person I thought to have this conversation with to really help young coaches or people that are just getting into the, the world of strength training to understand that there are some strong roots with, within this industry and some names that we got to discuss, important pillars. Right. Do you, Tex, do you think a lot of your listeners are that younger generation of coaches? Hey, Power Athlete Nation. I need to take a few moments to thank our sponsor, Power Athlete Training Systems, for providing the best training programs on the universe, in the universe, in the metaverse. I mean, really, if this is the matrix, and I'm pretty sure we're stuck in the matrix, Neo and Morpheus are uploading Power Athlete Training Systems. I'm pretty sure they're doing field strong. What do you think, McCorkle? Oh, I agree. They are on a specific training program for what they need. And to find out what you need, listeners, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash training and take our little survey to find the perfect training program for you. So we have developed training programs specific for an archetype. You want to get jacked, we got Jack Street. If you're looking to foster and develop athleticism, we got Field Strong. If you're looking to kick the door off of hinges and smash things and cut up and just be a fucking badass, we got Hammer. If you're first experience in terms of lifting weights and getting used to a barbell using a basic linear progression with bedrock that's the right one for you and if you have a few miles underneath your belt maybe a few kids fortune 500 ceo or maybe life's getting a little in the way i want you to check out grindstone and if your job and your desire is to fucking wad your face off i want you to go check out johnny wad and if you want to stack on a little johnny bot on that and hit a little bodybuilding accessory we got that too so what we've done is we've created this amazing catalog of services, these training programs designed for archetypes, and every one of them fits a specific user. And you know what? If you want to find that user, go on. I want you to take the survey, and then I want you to click on and take our seven-day free trial and see which one is right for you. Best-in-class training. And for less than a dollar a day, you mm. get it delivered straight to the mobile app Train Heroic. Mm-hmm. And if you want to sign up for our newsletter, you can go to powerathletehq.com forward slash or backslash forward slash forward slash newsletter. I want you to go to that, sign up for the newsletter where you can get more information, not only on training programs, get uh, discounts on shop on the merch, and really just know what's going on within Power Athlete with the Academy and some of our other initiatives. And the latest episodes of Power Athlete Radio. Which is really the most important thing. Power Athlete Radio the premier podcast of strength conditioning and your resource for the best information on training, nutrition, cars, maybe some movies, banter and banter. I mean, we've been on other fitness podcasts and when it comes to banter, we can fucking out banter anybody. Yes. And if you're a big fan of power athlete radio, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Hit us with a five-star review that we will read. If you leave air. us an amazing five-star review, we will read it on air. And believe me, I love reading the reviews, uh, especially the five-star ones, because it lets us know we're doing a good job. 
And we got some very creative listeners out there. We do. I mean, uh, that's why there are people. Yes. Throw your hat into the ring. Again, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash training. For all your training needs, take a little survey, find out what you're training for. Seven-day free trial on that program. And training for less than $1 a day. Thanks to Power Athlete Radio for sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get DMs all the time. So people reaching out and touching base, and then it's it's ever flowing. I had a 2019 presentation with the NSCA, mm-hmm. and then NSCA, similar to Play, has a an awesome catalog online app of just old lectures from from years and all their conferences. And one of my 2019s, like. I don't know. For some reason, it, it hit within the the thing, and it became the most watched video of what the year. What was the What was the topic? Uh, strength <clears throat> training, novice athlete. Basically, broke down our bedrock program for yep. uh, for listeners. It's on YouTube, but it was also on their play, uh, not their play app. Their their NSCA TV. Yeah, they shot me an email. Most watched, and then I just get messages from young coaches talking about, "Hey, this is what I applied." And then this is this is the results I'm getting. So they're going through nice. and applying the bedrock program as described from a 45 minute lecture with some terrible jokes, and then they're having success. I uh, I don't know. You were mentioning on the Play app, so Play sent me all the Iron Roots videos, and there it's on my YouTube, so it's free. And you know, you and I texted back and forth about the importance of not just knowing the history but learning the history. So what it really does, Tex, is it allows you to go down the rabbit hole to really, you know, be like an inch wide, a mile deep. And, you know, you mentioned Louis, and there's different kind of levels of those who have learned from Louis. There's those that trained at Westside. So mm-hmm. I never trained at Westside under Louis' um, tutelage and coaching, but I spent so much time on the phone with him before, you know, the internet exploded. And I always say I got lucky when I learned about training because there wasn't so much information available. So in those early 2000s, <clears throat> I kept researching Russian wrestling training because the Russian wrestlers were dominating. Um, now, really, the Americans are uh, quite the dominant force. And what's interesting is Russian coaches have come to America. But long story short, I was able to get on the phone with him every single week and have these deep conversations on a phone, you know, a flip phone, a BlackBerry phone, <laughs> a, a landline. And that's a big thing that's missing. And so people might watch a video or they might read an Instagram post, and then you're missing a lot of context. You're missing when and where it was applied. And those early conversations I had with Louie. And even, you know, mistakes I made in training as a bodybuilder, I still utilize some of those bodybuilding methods because some of the um, bodybuilders from, or a lot of them actually from the, that kind of sixties and seventies, they were hybrid bodybuilders, meaning they were bodybuilders. They also competed in weightlifting or incorporated weightlifting, mm-hmm. oftentimes powerlifting as well. Uh, some of the bodybuilders from the 70s competed in the early world's strongest man of the late 70s. And so back in that 
kind of silver and golden era of bodybuilding, bodybuilders were strong. And then we got to that kind of mid 80s, 90s, where it started getting all this pump up work. Well, Louis mentions the his early or his initial training partners were the magazines from Muscle Builder Power, which those were the original articles by Bill Peanuts West. And uh, John mentions in uh, the recent podcast with uh, Louis talking about how his dad grew up in Culver City. And Louie lights up about it. And uh, I, I'm sure John remembers this, but the first time I met John, I actually gave him a book that was gifted to me from Jim Wendler, who I know you guys had on recently. Now, Jim, there's a lot of stories here. I jump around a lot. It was gifted to Jim Wendler from Dr. Ken Leisner, who should also be somebody that these young coaches should learn from. This book was photocopies of all of the original Westside Barbell articles. So Jim gave it to me and he's like, yeah, he's like, I knew you would love this. You could have this. I was like, are you serious, Jim? (laughs) He gives it to me. It's on my desk and I have one copy. It's like spiral bound. So I meet Johnny up at, uh, I forget the name of the CrossFit, but it was in Connecticut. The guy who um, it was, you know, CrossFit football. It was first time meeting John. We had exchanged a lot of emails and text messages. It was my first time meeting Raf, who was like as serious as a heart attack up there. Like he was coaching. Still. He was. Yeah. It, you, when you don't know him, I was like, geez, this guy is crazy serious. So I gave it to John and uh, I'm not sure if John, I'm not sure if he's like me, like a collector of all the books or if he lost it, you know, moving from California to Texas, but those early articles of the original West Side Barbell <clears throat> teach you a lot. And then Louie took that information, applied it while training himself, then starting to train others out of his garage. And um, those stories, what I think from a coaching perspective does is it teaches you how to maximize training before there were fancy machines, you know, mm-hmm. the original home gym of Bill Peanuts West, the original Westside Barbell was a York isometric rack, which was very narrow. And so what they did is they cut it, spread them out so they could box squat inside. How did they box squat? They took a milk crate and framed it out with wood. And that they began doing box squats, floor press, instead of, you know, rack pulls, they elevated the deadlift bar under, um, you know, pieces of wood. And if you look at the plates that Bill Peanuts West uses, you'll see Zuver's Hall of Fame plates, which really should be. Um, and that's a, like all of these kind of names are are people and topics I covered in Iron Roots. <clears throat> now, you know, speaking back to these young coaches who are messaging you saying, you know, I'm utilizing bedrock. This is how I'm training the novice athlete. You know, I think to myself all the time, I have you know, purchased everything that Louie ever put out back then it was VHS. Then it became DVD. You know, they have the conjugate club. Do, am I going to implement all of that when I'm predominantly training high school athletes? And even at the division one level, predominantly I will not, but it allows you to have this deep understanding of maybe who, what I can do when I have somebody who is advanced, or you can experiment on yourself. And you mentioned these 
um, kids getting an undergrad in strength and conditioning. I know out here, um, uh, universe, I think university of Delaware has it. And oh, so, yeah, big, big physical culture there. I knew they, they're one of the early ones. Yeah. Who else, who else has it? Do you know? Oh Off man, the top a, lot of your head? Of, a lot of D3s and then Texas state tech university of Texas, so yeah. we, uh, Texas A&M. So we're pulling a lot of our interns from local regional here and then kicking their butt into shape. So when they go into the workforce, they know what the hell they're doing. Bro, I have a guy that's finishing his internship with me. He's doing great. You know, when I reference him as Colin, the intern, and I have struggled to get interns. I can't even get interns from my old uh, undergrad, which is Kane University. And um, he was my professor, Dr. Anzel. He uh, was a former professional football player, played with OJ Simpson. So I remember being in college. And watching on TV, O.J. Simpson in the white truck, <laughs> Dr. Anzel said, I don't want to hear nothing about nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> Doc Anzel is uh, a department chair up at Kane. And I remember a couple of years ago, he said, Zach, I'm afraid to send you interns. We're afraid they won't survive. And Colin, who's interning for me now, what's interesting about these younger coaches is they might know how to train themselves. Not even anything spectacular. And no offense to them because I was once once that level also, right? You start, you all start at the bottom. But he didn't know how to, you know, I think Brett and what you talk about, you guys really explained it the best, you know, the art of coaching, being a chameleon, having a different personality for the different personalities of the athletes that you're training. He mm-hmm. didn't know how to communicate with kids. He didn't have that coach's eye. He didn't understand the art of coaching. And so why does all the history matter? Because you're building essentially a big, um, you know, you're building like all of this, these, this weaponry for yourself. So you have things and people and places to pull from. It essentially gives you more experience so that when you are coaching, and I also think that coaching is much harder today than it was pre-2010. And, you know, John mentioned this, speaking with Louie, looking at offensive linemen. He's like, it looks like they don't lift. Their arms don't fill the shirt sleeves. And when he said that, I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe the coaches today don't even implement any bodybuilding work, which if we look at Westside Barbell, that's the repetition method. Mm-hmm. You need to put muscle on. It's like a bigger car engine. So basically, researching older coaches and older training methods, you're able to look at it and see this is what works. This is how it's refined today. Maybe XYZ would or would not work today. And it just gives you greater knowledge. My wife is constantly like, she's like, she's like, Zach, do you need another book? And I'm like, look, these books are not on Kindle. You know, this is a 1980 book uh, by Dan Gable, and I wanted to have it so bad because, you know, back then Iowa was dominating. Mm -hmm. Iowa is almost at the top today. But see, now my understanding of, of optimal training versus maximal training, you could see how what he did, you know, 10, 20, uh, 40 years ago. It worked, but now it doesn't work today because the personality of the kids are different mm-hmm. emotionally. 
If I'm not obsessed, I'm not going to be able to handle high volume training. So now if we look back at training methods, Louis sometimes mentions all these extra workouts. A lot of kids of today won't respond good to extra workouts. So I'm able to look at things he spoke about decades ago and look to apply it today. So what you're doing is when you're looking at information as a coach, what I think is important is not to blindly copy, but to look at it, to assess the information and then apply context to it. For example, let's say I'm looking at, um, uh, I don't know if you know, Tony Villani, XPE sports, they like very dominant with, um, the uh, combine they're like crush the combine it's Tony Villani and Matt Gates. I watch Tony's Instagram videos, YouTube videos, and I don't just blindly copy it. So if you look up XPE sports, these guys are real sharp. I look at it and say, where can I apply this? Can I incorporate this as our warm up segues into our speed and change of direction? Can I implement this with the large group of high school athletes when I'm outside on the field? Mm -hmm. Can I implement this for non-field athletes to develop leg power, even though I'm training a wrestling team or a swimmer? And that's where you have to be able to, as a coach, look at information is to not blindly copy. Now, let me take the other end of the spectrum. There's a, uh, um, a local wrestler, super, super successful. And he always says, I'm following the West side method. And so when I watch him train, I see him doing max effort work. I see him doing dynamic effort. I see him doing repetition work with, uh, machines and dumbbells and things like that. And he thinks that's what Louie does, you know? And when I spoke with Louie, 20 years ago, we spoke about early days MMA. Back then it was called NHB. Oh, yeah. I've watched some VHS tapes of those. Yeah. (laughs) It was called No Holds Barred Fighting. And and some of it was bare knuckle fighting. Some of the American guys would go to uh, Brazil. Now, the guys that Louis was training back then became UFC champions. Uh, Kevin Randleman, who, who passed away some years ago. Mark Coleman. These guys were Ohio State wrestlers. Well, Louie didn't train them exactly the way you see the powerlifters training, max effort, dynamic repetition. He did a lot of full body training. He implemented a lot of special strength training, training for time. You know, John always mentioned seeing that track and field girl throwing the medicine ball um, at Westside. You know, in 2002 or 2003, Louie was talking to me about this group of high school wrestlers he was training. And he goes, yeah, I have them slamming a med ball for five minutes nonstop. So I'm like thinking to myself, well, we're not slamming, you know, sets of 10 or 15, this kind of like, you know, quote unquote, normal training. He started getting me to think differently. But if I just look at his Instagram And, you know, I'm reading Max Effort, Diane, you know, I'm getting this little piece of the puzzle. But he started telling me about how he would train Kevin Randleman, 10 minutes of dumbbell benching on the physio ball, because Kevin Randleman would, you know, experience muscular fatigue if he was like, you know, taken down and then his arms and shoulders would fatigue. So he said, 
I attacked his weak point. So that would be, to me, considered the quote-unquote West Side method, meaning he's applying, you know, specific to the need of the athlete, whereas people who just kind of scratch the surface, they're looking at max effort, dynamic, and repetition method. Yeah, and it's it's intelligent the way he he did write those books is so he provides that, yes. but then emphasizing that you need to focus on the weak points, the limitations, and as Ruiz would call the limiting factors. Big yeah. takeaway from my experience with, with RAF was it's finding what your athletes can't do because that's what's going to cost them the games and competitions. And intelligent sport coaches, you know, they're seeing these weaknesses, they're doing the scouting reports, or when the going gets tough, they observe, make an adjustment to the game plan or the strategy for an individual, and then set their athlete free to attack. So it's it's that point. It's limiting factors, and we aim to express that the best we can and then fix it within our training programs, especially when we're communicating with our coaches. Our warm-up movements that we deliver in the training programs are attacking well-known limitations that we've found in our experience traveling the world, teaching coaches and working with athletes. But then our education, okay, this is the movement. Let's call it a dead bug or Spider-Man or pillar to plank press up or even a strict pull up. This is the movement. Well, here's things we need to look for that identify limitations. Guess what your accessory work is specific to those limitations. Also, the warm ups, the beauty. It's not only the assessment tool. It's also the corrective exercise. Yeah, it's uh, I think a great coach, you know, speaking about these younger coaches, they realize everything is an assessment. So you're talking about pull-ups. If mm-hmm. I see somebody's knees lifting during the pull-ups or their back heavily arching, well, we're going to reverse engineer a proper pull-up. They're lacking trunk stability. So now mm-hmm. I'm going to incorporate dead bugs and different kind of trunk stability and anti-rotation exercises. And here's the other thing that goes deeper is... Um, you're also assessing the personality of the athlete, which is something I've really been able to teach Colin, the intern, meaning mm-hmm. if an at Louie would say this to me all the time, he's like, you know, you wrestlers, you wrestlers are crazy. You're eccentric. You're fucking crazy. And that's why he did crazy stuff with them because they believed in it. And that made them feel better by doing something that was quote unquote, not optimal or quote unquote, not perfect. But you know what? They thrived under that. And by training quote unquote crazy, they felt better, which improved their performance. And you can't take that and apply it to somebody who's maybe not quote unquote crazy. So what I've been explaining to Colin, my intern is you're assessing not just the physical but the verbal, the nonverbal, and the personality trait. So we have, sometimes we get middle school kids that are shy and scared and very nervous to be there. I go, a kid like that, you got to give him plenty of time to rest. You got to let him maybe create his own obstacle course instead of saying, you're going to go through these hurdles, you know, three times, and then you're going to sprint and carry. That might work for a seventh grader who's been, wrestling or playing lacrosse and football since he was a kid, but another kid who's maybe not had any contact with anybody uh, in a like combative type sport, 
he's not going to be able to fall right in to something that's maybe more regimented or it feels intense. And so, you know, speaking with Louie, he would adjust the training for the athlete. He even would say Chuck Vogelpohl trained too much, but Chuck was crazy. He wasn't going to be able to stop him from doing that amount of volume. And then when you speak about all that crazy volume, now you have to go the other direction and you got to look at these early bodybuilders from uh, the 60s and 70s who I know you guys had, you know, I listen to your podcast all the time for people that don't know. You guys uh, did a podcast. Didn't you podcast with Doreen Yates? Not yet. I'm thinking Mar- Marty Gallagher did with Doreen Yates, but you guys did the shadow program. Mm-hmm. So I had Doreen Yates's VHS tape, you know, blood and guts, but he was influenced by Mike Menser. So by learning the bodybuilders who influenced Dorian, Mike Menser, Arthur Jones, what did they do? One all out set. Now, sometimes you have limited time and maybe at the end of a training session, you have like seven minutes. You'll, if you watch me coach, I might say, okay, <clears throat> you're going to get one max set of push-ups. Then you're going to, you know, grab something, you know, for curling, whether it's a barbell or dumbbell. And you're going to get as many, you know, choose a weight that's like a hard, you know, like 10 to 15 reps, one all out set. Then you're going to do one all out set of uh, tricep push down, something that's going to be about 20 reps. You learn that, wow, there's this minimum effective dose where sometimes I could get away with doing one set to make it happen or you're limited on time. And so. Uh, last, not this season, but the previous year when we had all that COVID stuff still going on, my school was uh, half day. So I was training groups for about 30 minutes. Well, baseball would train with me uh, on game day. And I would go through this, like, I know it's a weird time. It would take like 22 minutes, but I would do a lot of three sets of five, three sets of three. So it'd be like a jump, a pull up, you know, maybe a trap bar deadlift, kettlebell clean, kettlebell row, lunge jump, like quick, short power work. Well, where did I come up with optimal training? Well, I think back to some of those early bodybuilders who were training on a low volume approach. And that's why you want to learn from more than just strength coaches. You want to learn from anybody in the strength muscle building game Because you're going to need those bits and pieces when you're training athletes. And I'd say the past 10, 15 years, you need more bodybuilding knowledge because athletes are showing up skinnier and weaker than ever before, including college athletes. And Mm -hmm. so you need to incorporate bodybuilding methods and the bodybuilding methods from decades ago, that golden and silver era, that's where you want to learn from because they were also focused on being strong. You know, they didn't have the, they had drugs, they had, you know, some basic steroids and maybe growth hormone, but in the fifties and sixties, they probably didn't have a whole lot yet. We had bodybuilders benching 400, you know, Reg Park benched 500 pounds. That dude was strong as hell. He's the originator of five sets of five. And then Reg Parks, five sets of five, went to uh, Bill Starr, strongest Mm -hmm. shall survive. And Bill learned that doing 
three to five sets of three to five reps worked great. But instead of telling the guys to do, hey, do three, he just said, it's easy for everybody to remember if we do a five by five. But those two five by five methods are slightly different. Reg Park had a different method than Bill Starr. And so as a coach, you want to learn that, not just the training model, but if you look at Bill Starr's book, he created that five by five as a circuit because when he was coaching the football players, he had limited space and limited equipment. So it had to be done as a circuit. Mm-hmm. And that that's, that's a beautiful point. And coaches need to understand that these gentlemen were working within their, their limitations yes. to develop these methods that they apply to their athletes. So if you look at Westside and then having gone to Westside and seeing the setup and then seeing 40, 50 people training in there at once, it's organized in a way where this group is hitting bench this day, this group's hitting squat this day, this group's hitting deadlifts this day. And then there's a whole second room for accessory work where it's not as leveled up and intense, but dudes are still getting work done and helping each other out. Then stars set up where he can apply his best practices to his team. So now if a coach goes into a high school gym with awesome setup, like you got over there, Zach, okay, well, first, this is what I have. Well, let's begin here. I begin with a purpose. What do I want to accomplish? What does my team needs? What's the demands of their sport? Where are they currently? So check the demand of the sport, assess your athlete where they are currently. Then I go to practical. What do I have? How yes. much time do I have? Okay, so yeah. I got equipment, time, different barriers that I need to assess. So now I'm going to write the program for my athletes' needs, demands of the sports, where they are, with the equipment and the time that I have, and then I need to check back in. So the beauty of Star's book, we can read it, we can apply it, but then he leaves it up to us as individuals to now check back in. And the most important prudence, did this accomplish what we set it out to? So if five sets of fives didn't work, what adjustments do I need to make? Is it more volume or is it less like Star talks about? Right. <clears throat> so, or does it, yeah, does it not get the job done? And now <clears throat> do I need to incorporate um, some high rep training and who yep. does, you know, high reps? So now I might pull from another knowledge or you're talking about this assessment like, um our technique doesn't look that great. Okay. I'm going to incorporate some Caldeets ISOs mm-hmm. to learn positions or we're not building the muscle. Well, five by five is now going to turn into the next two to three weeks. We'll do an eccentric phase of one exercise and I'll pull So I got a little Caldeets. I got a little strongest shall survive. Oh, we, we got a little bit of time to get some bodybuilding work. Okay. I'll pull some Dorian Yates, one all out set of curls and push ups and, uh, you know, tricep push downs or, you know, what's minimal effective dose. I'm trying to, who's a coach that consistently talks about minimal effective dose. I'm trying to think, do you have somebody on the top of your head text? Minimal Negative. effective dose. Um, you know, I think about this, we have, a. a kind of a slight hill outside of our, our uh, weight room bubble. I'm like, you know, at the end, I'll say, you got to get at least three hill sprints. It takes you seven seconds from bottom to top. Do we have 21 seconds today? Get at least three in. 
because I feel like if I get those three in, at least um, I hate using the word maintenance, but I don't like straying from those hill sprints. You know, uh, Jim Wendler often says they run year round, but they don't run a lot so that by the time summer training begins, we're in shape. We're mm-hmm. not getting destroyed from practice. And so you're just constantly assessing, constantly testing and experimenting and implementing. And that's why if you are a up and coming coach and you're like, your idol is, you know, Mike Boyle, you need more, you know, people to pull from Uh, Mike Boyle, something he mentions. Well, he mentions a lot of great stuff, but uh, he talks about filling the buckets. What bucket needs to be filled? So if you got a bunch of skinny teenagers, then bucket the bucket that needs to be filled is building muscle. And I'm going to have to do a lot of sets of 10 to 15 reps. I'm going to have to get some volume in there. You know, <clears throat> what if the bucket is we're not fast? Well, where's your athletic warm-up? Start incorporating an athletic warm-up. And then you were mentioning like, you know, uh, putting it in the coach's hands. Does the training flow for the equipment you have? Like Sornex just posted a video today of a high school weight room. <laughs> and it's like, holy crap, that's a high school weight room. You know, are they hiring? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It is so amazing. And so sometimes you see what somebody's implementing. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to mention names. You know, I, I love some of these coaches, but they are training like four athletes, five athletes. And I'm like, yeah that shit ain't going to work because I'm training 45 to 75 kids. So that fancy exercise, it's not going to flow. It's not going to work in a room that's packed with athletes. So I would say when I look at the high school that I coach at, my programming is definitely imperfect and slightly flawed. And guess what? I'm okay with that because you know what else is imperfect? Competition. It doesn't go as planned it's flawed, right? There's no absolutes. So I like having these imperfections and not having the fanciest equipment. And even at the highest levels, you know, an Olympic athlete should also be prepared for imperfections. Um, Like what's, who is the swimmer who uh, Michael Phelps said his like uh, uh, swim coach, like poked like a hole in his goggles on purpose during practices. So he would learn to train. So he would train with like imperfect conditions. So if he got to the Olympics and he forgot his swim trunks or his goggles or water got in there, he didn't have a breakdown. Exactly. And that's why imperfect training is crucial. So who would we relate imperfect training to? Have these kids read Dinosaur Training by Brooks Kubik, which was, you know, printed in the late 90s? You know, that book was like a, a throat punch to that quote unquote, functional training um, movement where it was like, oh, are you not on a physio ball? Are you not training on one leg? You're not functional. That book was like an us versus them. Now, who inspired Brooks Kubik? Look at Dr. Ken Leisner. I've got videos of him training. uh, I believe it's Virginia Tech football. You see them carrying the practice dummies over those gymnastics crash mats. So when you're carrying something and walking through crack. They called it the swamp uh, carry because your legs would sink in. Well, check this out. My gymnastics coach 
in undergrad, we had to take a semester of gymnastics. Um, Mr. Gonzalez, I still call him Mr. Gonzalez. <clears throat> he had us doing circuit training. It was a brutal class. He was an, an all-American wrestler and a gymnast. So he had us doing circuits for time that I still implement today. I took that class in uh, the fall of 95. All right. That's a long, that's, uh, I don't know how long ago that is, about 30 years ago. He had us jumping, doing plyo jumps on the crash mats. I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm getting destroyed here, yet I had just competed in bodybuilding. I could squat for 405. He had us doing plyometric push ups, not just in place, but moving your whole body mm -hmm. across the mat and then back up. We did hand walking on the parallel bars which when I started training athletes, I would go to the local park because I was training them at my parents' garage. Guess what we did? Hand walking on the parallel bars. I was implementing stuff that Mr. Gonzalez taught me. Then by coming across Dr. Ken's information in Brooks Cubic, I started carrying stones, looking at early days world's strongest man from the late 70s and early 80s. They were not throwing medicine balls. They were throwing car tires. So guess what we started doing for power? Throwing car tires. Even think about this. You know, um, the, the Rocky films can give strength coaches great ideas. He does mm -hmm. plyometrics. He does, he does sprints. On a he, beach. He runs hills, you know, runs through the mountains. <clears throat> he goes and trains at a junkyard. I remember hearing Nate Carr. There's a few Nate cars, wrestlers, but the Nate car senior, he was an Olympian um, and a national champ. Uh, he said he had something like eight brothers. He goes, so I went to the junkyard and got a car axle. I took it down into the basement, propped it up on milk crates. And he's like, I did my bench press on the floor using the car axle. What's that? Thick grip training. Mm -hmm. um, even our friends at Sorenex, if, you know, I spent a lot of time talking with Bert and pops in the early days because the, it was Sornex was, you know, pops, Bert and one other employee. So when you called, you'd speak with Bert and Bert uh, early days Sornex, they had a VHS tape of Bert utilizing all of the Sornex equipment, which was my first kind of like, look at like equipment built by lifters who were athletes, not just lifters who were powerlifters. And I saw things like the landmine yeah. or Bert, the hurricane that they built. Record, Bert was a walk-on thrower at University Correct. of South Carolina. So like Correct. made his made his bones training hard and walking on to a D1 track and field team. And now what about Pops' history? Pops grew up in central slash North Jersey. Where did Pops go as a kid? He took the train to York, Pennsylvania. To see men like John Grimmick doing clean and press with over 300 pounds and then doing handstand push-ups free, you know, so pops had a powerlifting slash weightlifting background by watching the York strength and health picnics. He teaches that to Bert <clears throat> and you see how all of the influences you're able to pull from. That's why. You know, the way I word this is I say, you never want to like segregate yourself from a group. Like I just, I'm only a 
kettlebell guy or I'm only a conjugate guy. My mm -hmm. phrase is, and uh, I utilized this when they interviewed me for the high schools, they said, tell me about your philosophy. Are you a speed and agility guy? They didn't even know what to ask me. Are you a yeah. functional training guy? I said, I'm a whatever the kids need guy. And they were like, they, you know, you saw them like move in and be like, oh, all right, what does that mean? And so I'm explaining to them that, you know, most of the kids are going to be weak. They're going to have to get stronger. They're going to lack athleticism. So I'm going to have to incorporate a warm up that builds athleticism. And I'm going to utilize free weights to build inter and intramuscular coordination. We're going to have to build muscle, which is going to require repetition training. Then I said, some of the kids are going to lack confidence. So I'm going to pay attention to every time they have even better technique or get one more rep on push-ups or their squats are deeper. I'm going to give them a compliment. Now, where did I, where did I learn that? I didn't learn that in strength and conditioning. I learned it as a teacher. Mm -hmm. I learned it as a teacher. A guidance counselor told me, because when I was student teaching, like I have Colin interning with me, I had, I was working with various teachers. One guy just got out of the Marines. So he spent 20 years in the Marines. If kids did something wrong, he made them do push-ups. I never wanted to punish kids with exercise. I felt like the punishment is you don't get to play. Exercise is the gift. So I learned from that. I learned from another teacher. His name was Bill Cantra. Bill said, Zach, don't just walk around. He said, when you walk by a kid, you say, whoa, great job. Look at that. I like how you're able to balance on your hand. You know, he said, always give compliments. Then a guidance counselor told me, I can't remember this scenario slash situation, but a kid did something wrong and one of the teachers reprimanded him and then he was crying. And so the teacher said to me, she said, Zach, I want to give you a piece of advice. She's like, at this age, you could, you know, reprimand a kid. They could like sit out of a game for two minutes. She's like, then let them back. She's like, never finish class with a kid who didn't get to finish on a positive. And so I kept that in the front of my mind that let's say sometimes you have a tough heart to heart conversation with a kid, or you're just tough on the kid. Mm -hmm. You got to say, listen, stop being a whiny bitch. You need to tough it out here. You got to have a compliment to follow that up later on because the generation of today, they need it. Whereas I look, you know, the way I was coached in the early nineties, late eighties, they would MF you up and down. They didn't care to finish on a positive. They would say things like get tough, but no context behind, behind it. And so I, I pick up from everything, not just strength coaches. Mm -hmm. And then you have to find ways to like a uh, chef. Or, or not even a chef, like a conductor of an orchestra. You have to find a way to like bring it together, right? To have everybody just kind of working together. And so, look, I still make mistakes coaching. And I think that's another thing is not everybody coaches. You want to coach your face off, especially in those early years to the point of like you're exhausted. And then you have to train yourself at the end of the night because you didn't have time to train during the day. Well, guess mm -hmm. what you're learning? You're learning how to train yourself under fatigue. How's that going to help you? You're going to train athletes who might be coming to you after school. Uh, maybe they go to school, then work, then they're coming to train with you. 
And now you know what it's like to train under fatigue. So how do you adjust it? What does the warm up look like? What does what changes maybe to the music? Does the warm up change to somebody who's training on a Saturday morning versus a Thursday evening? You know, Saturday's the end of the week. Friday night, they maybe didn't get to bed on time. Their back is probably tight. They've been laying down. So the spinal fluid hasn't been moving around. What do you change? That's why as a coach, you should expose yourself and kind of try to, um, you know, uh, break your your, uh, old self, meaning, okay, you always train with barbells. Well, these next two weeks, you're not going to touch a barbell. You're going to train with kettlebells and sandbags only, you know, and then the next two weeks, body weight only, but you could change the body weight training. I'm going to allow you to add weight to it. I'm going to allow you to add bands. You could do plyometric with the body weight. You could do high reps with the body weight. You could do tempo with the body weight. You could apply the conjugate slash West side method to a body weight program. You could have a strength day. You could have a speed day. You could have a repetition slash bodybuilding day. And then you could add like an athletic development day with all kinds of coordinated movements and modified gymnastics. Well, it's body weight training, but I'm going to borrow the West side program design model and apply it. So there's a lot of, or try basic or bill stuff like a hundred percent. What did John say in the podcast with Louie? He goes, I'm just standing on the shoulders of giants. I didn't invent anything. And so the coaches who can apply from everybody and kind of craft it, those will become the best coaches. You don't have to invent anything or come up with a name for the exercise. You know, yeah, and don't pretend to be <clears throat> correct. One note, <laughs> pretend. you you set yourself up for this going back to the, the coach you had where you had jumping on mats and yeah. you believed like you were strong. You believed you were in shape and they were still able to find something where you had a weakness and your thought process. It wasn't this guy doesn't, doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm strong. I'm in shape. It was what is going on? Why can't I do this? And then you were open to understanding the why. And then later on, you got the opportunity to apply it and really see it unfold for the different group there, rather than just your own personal experience with this form of of training and fitness. You have to be open-minded as a coach. I mean, if you're not open-minded, you're screwed. And I got to tell you, the great thing about Colin, who's interning with me now is, I got to tell you, he, he sucked in communicating. I mean, sucked is an understatement. He's, um, you, when you guys came to Manasquan, we went out to this uh, bar that's yeah. on uh, First Ave. He's renting a, an apartment right there. And I was so, I was a millimeter <laughs> away from saying, dude, on Friday night, you need to go to that place and get a job as a bar back. Because I wanted him to learn how to talk with different people, adults, younger people, an angry drunk person, uh, somebody who's emotional coming in, kind of drink. You know, I wanted him to learn. And um, in my early 20s, I was a bartender. I spent six months working in a shot and beer joint, and I had to learn to speak with different people. Here's an interesting fact. Uh, Lauren Landau, he's like two years older than me. Him and I kind of go through that same uh, early days. There wasn't strength and conditioning. There wasn't exercise science. There was adult fitness, which was like the cardiac rehab option. 
in, mm-hmm. in undergrad, or you went for health and phys ed. His first job, like mine, was in a hospital. He worked in cardiac rehab. I worked in a fitness center, which was connected to cardiac rehab. So when somebody was done with cardiac rehab, they came to the fitness center. I had to learn to work with the uh, CFO of the hospital would come in to train and ask me advice. Um, Local people in the community. So adults would come in, uh, nurses, doctors in the summertime, adults would bring their kids. I had to learn to work with all these different um, personality types, age groups. I remember um, the the CEO, Lou, and um, I remember I was calling him by his last name, Mr. Da-da-da. He's like, don't do that. Call me Lou. And it just taught me sometimes people don't want to be put on the pedestal. They just want to be part of the crew. There was mm-hmm. another guy, Dennis. He was a Viet, former Vietnam vet. He would like train on his own. And then I remember he kind of ran the show there. So one day I showed him how to do like drop sets. And he was like this. His eyes, he was like, he's like, you're the master. <laughs> It was like, thought I was like the master because I was bringing him all of these bodybuilding intensity techniques. Now, think about it. He's a Vietnam vet. He's gone through a lot of shit. He likes the crazy stuff. He thrives on it. Now, let's say you train somebody else who's coming through like a, a corporate, you know, white collar back. They may not want any of that. They might. You know, you don't know. So you're learning the personalities you're learning how to apply different training methods. And then you're also learning as a coach, there's a time and a place for everything. So how long can I apply, you know, dinosaur training and strongman training to a group? In my early days of strength and conditioning, the athletes I trained would handle it year round. Now I like barely ever flip a tire. And sometimes I say to myself, damn, it's like you get too smart. You start to overthink. And that's why sometimes I like to be around younger coaches because they're a little bit more ballsy with pushing the envelope, which is needed in these combative sports. You need to do this kind of training that really develops the mind. Sometimes we get so um, segmented to just the weight room. We're just using the barbell. We're not going outside. You know, we're not going outside. We're inside. And I remember when. I transitioned from my garage and the backyard and the local playground to my first warehouse. I felt like we lost something and we did. We didn't have the hill that we used to sprint. We weren't out at the open parking lot to push my truck around. We didn't have a playground, you know, 250 feet away that we would sprint to and press picnic tables. You know why we pressed picnic tables? Because I saw a documentary on the California prisons when the weights were taken out you saw prisoners pressing picnic tables getting under the picnic table floor pressing it so i implemented that i even implemented you know mentioning it's it's not mentioned in this book but in the early 90s i watched i had a vhs tape i watched it every day every night wrestling season was called competitor supreme you could find bits and pieces of it in on youtube and it's Dan Gable's video. He's always talking about outwork everybody, outwork the competition. That did not work well for my body. It kicked my ass. It broke me down. Well, as I started training wrestlers, I had, I had a kid that would train with the football players. He thrived on lifting heavy and high volume. He took fifth in the state. 
This other kid thrived on optimal training. He would need me to taper him before a tournament, taper before the end of the season. Instead of training an hour, you know, a month out, it became 45 minutes. Uh, Two weeks out, it became 30 minutes. The last week before we took a week off, it was like a 22-minute lift. He needed optimal. I had a kid that took second in the state. He showed up like two days before the state tournament to train. (laughs) He just, the more he trained, the better he, the better he felt. Dan Gable used to do something called like red flag days. And basically it was like he put red flags out and they knew that they were about to go through fucking hell. And he would have them, you know, carry each other up and down the stadium stairs on your back. Then I'd hold your ankles. You'd walk up the stadium stairs on your hands. Then we'd run up and down the stadium stairs. You would pummel. And so you need to know who can, who's going to respond well to that. When I was at Lehigh, our heavyweight was very strong. He loved lifting. So what they did was they gave him an extra day off of wrestling and allowed him to lift. And that was the year he became an All-American. The year before, he did what everybody else did. And so certainly when you're training with a team, there's not a ton, a ton of individualization, but there does need to be. Mm -hmm. And so as a coach, if you can apply that art blended with the science and you have the coach's eye and that only happens through a lot of training you know like i started training in 1989 coaching in 95 today when i was lifting i was using the uh, bamboo bar and believe it or not i never did triceps to the neck i would always do like triceps to the forehead tricep extensions bands from all these angles today i was doing triceps go down to the neck and, or to the throat. And I was like, damn, I never felt that in my triceps before. And so Colin is 27 and I'm like, Colin, I've been lifting for longer than you've been on earth. And that's, (laughs) and I said to him, I go, here I am learning something new. I said, so you have to always learn something new. And sometimes an intern will say stuff to me. They've done this before. And I just, and I, and I respond in a pretty straightforward way. Like, okay, you're going to, today you're going to train with our group, you know, and they might see squats. And then the internal say, I squatted yesterday. And then I'm like, then what the fuck are you here for? How are you learning? And I can't remember if you had interviewed somebody that were podcast recently, but they were talking about they did legs on, let's say, a Tuesday. They went to West Side on Wednesday or Elite. They were going to West Side and Elite, and they had already done legs. And they were like, all right, we're squatting today. They were like, all right, let's fucking go. Versus saying, oh, I squatted yesterday. My legs are sore. When you're young, don't say no to anything. If somebody says we're doing chest and buys today, do it. Do chest and biceps. Learn what it's like. Like, don't tell me you trained chest yesterday. And that is a major problem when coaches, and it's not just young coaches, you have adult coaches, you know, my age, older, who they will not open their mind up. They're like, you know, this is what we do, period, end of story. To me, there's no beauty in that. To me, the real beauty in 
you know, like I want to break who I was yesterday and become better. I want you to put me through a program that, you know, if I say I can't do something, it's because I have a legitimate injury, you know, or I'll be like, yo, dude, maybe that's probably not the best thing for me after, you know, four knee surgeries, I'll say. But otherwise, I am still learning. Like to get better with my knee, I had to study a lot of Caldeitz's stuff, the isometrics, the uh, eccentrics. You know, Jake Tura, young strength coach, had to really dig deep into what he was doing with, you know, knee health. Um, even nutrition, I learned from this uh, young coach, Ryan Nye. He works at my buddy's place, Mike Guadango. And he was telling me, he's, a, he's like, man, I thought I was going to get a knee replacement. My knee was killing me. He's like, and I just cut out processed food. I cut out junk food. So I, I cut out processed foods and uh, my knee and cat, everything started feeling better. So I learned from just a text exchange from a young coach. And I didn't say, oh, I've been coaching longer than Ryan's been alive. I don't care. You might be younger than me and smarter and better. I'll learn from you. That is the only way I can tell kids to do better. Because if I'm not getting better, I have no authority or right to say for you to get better if I'm like, I'm good enough. So you got to, you got to be, that's why, you know, I tell my wife, look, I'm just, I don't feel like I'm a good enough coach. I every day feel like I got to get better. And that inspires me. That's probably why I get excited to coach still after all these years. It's exciting. Yeah. 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 I had a comment from a, another coach out there that I guess they were stressed and, you know, speaking to me and said that like they, they, their teams weren't fun anymore. And I'm hmm. like, my man, like, even though like you have losing seasons or, you know, you get some challenging kids on the team, like I, I still haven't had a day where I don't enjoy showing up and working with the young batch of, of athletes. Dude. So I, I couldn't connect in that moment, but yeah. aim to to help them along to to get refocused. So it was uh it was an interesting conversation that I he's a sport coach personally. or a strength coach? Uh, both. See, I want to so say that's, this that's about a cool that. opportunity that I always yeah. appreciated. That man, you got you got influence across the board. You get Correct. weight room and sport and that I do like that. Yeah, that was valuable <clears> for me when I first started my coaching career especially on the, the communication end. So then stuck with fun communication tricks picked up from Brett Bartholomew. Yes. Uh, just to, to try to get some fun out of it. And <laughs> Brett speaks about this in his courses. Yeah. Like when speed training stopped being fun for him, looked for it a challenging way to communicate, asked his intern, pick one piece of equipment. Yes. Med ball, whatever it would may be. And then, okay, that's the equipment we're going to use for speed today. So would put zero context for the kid and then just use that to challenge himself and keep it interesting. So aim to give cool. that coach some, some guidance there. Um, Th but think me about personally, this. Yeah. Think, think about this text. You just mentioned, um, you know, what's so cool about you being a sport and strength coach um, who, who was consistently the sport and strength coach. Um, the Russians, they were both. So they were always on the floor, able to marry everything yeah. together because they constantly could see what was going on. So now in the college setting, when we see sport coaches attending practice and I get it, it's a lot of time. Strength. Uh, coaches. That's what 
strength coaches attending sport practice, my bad, because now you get to see what's going on. Uh, also watching the competition. <clears throat> so let's say our heavyweight, I remember at Lehigh, he would lose a lot of close matches. I was like, he's just got to get a little tougher. So I'm going to add a couple extra exercises that keep him moving and build some muscular endurance in the shoulders and arms. And then I'm going to compliment him. I'm going to be like, dude, you're a beast. This is the stuff that's going to give you the edge. You're now you're getting better. And you got to look for uh, things that inspire you. Here's what I think in, in, will inspire a coach forever. If you genuinely care about people and the kids that you're training or the adults, whoever you're training, if you genuinely care, you're just going to find a way to get better. You're going to find a way to have the energy during a tough time in your life. And so, you know, you talking about your coaching lacrosse um, and how that's like fun and exciting because it gives you a change of atmosphere, you yeah. know? And so um, when COVID started, you know, whatever this was two and a half years ago, I had to furlough my coaches. So it was just me. And then I remember it was like in the fall and I was saying to myself, my God, like, I'm so tired of running this warm up. I need to get creative, but I felt like I lost creativity <clears throat> at my school. I was running like six 30 minute groups a day. Then I'd go and run my gym for three hours. And I think it's good that my coaches are all different. I don't want another Zach Evanesh. I'm too like OCD. Sometimes I'm too intense for the kids. So one day I just said to the kids and it was a Wednesday. It's how we came up with wacky Wednesday. I was feeling in a rut. So I said, all right, you guys run the warm up today. Create your own warm up. And they're like us. I'm like, yep. What do you what are we doing first? Text. What are we doing? Well, you know, we're finally back in school. The first kid does is he grabs a kid in a fireman's carry, puts him on his back and runs with him. This is at a time where we hadn't shaken hands with people in ages because of all this stupid COVID shit. He's fireman carries him. Then the next one was piggyback ride. Then the next group came in and they came up with medicine ball tag. And I can't believe nobody like split their head open. They were like running in between the squat racks. They were jumping over shit, but it was the ultimate quote unquote speed and agility warm up we ever yeah. did. So then I said, you know what? This warm up was awesome. The next group, I said, boom, create your warm up. I let them, I said, you could use anything. Your warm up does not have to be the same skipping shit that we always do. So I was like, you want a bench? You want a dumbbell bench? Go for it. They started coming up with free weights and then they went out on a run. They just did different stuff that maybe as coaches were, you know, quote, I'm using air quotes for those listening. That's not scientifically correct. So then I let them create the whole workout. The last group I said, all right, you're going to do the whole workout. It was a brutal training session, meaning they did sumo deadlift for like five by five. Whereas if I'm, if I'm programming a sumo deadlift, it might be like a five, five, three, two, two. I don't want you to work your back too much. They didn't think about that shit. They went five by five. They, then they coupled it with like 25 reps of face pulls. That's <laughs> 125 reps. I'd be like, you'll do 15 reps because after 15, your technique degrades. They're like, fuck that, 25. 
Then they did benching coupled with landmine press. Well, as a strength coach, you'd be like, oh, no, you're pressing. You need to follow it with a pull. Dude, They, I was like, I said, the, the number one rule on Wacky Wednesday is there are no rules. So it was, the benching was something like 17 reps, nine reps, seven reps, then a one rep max. Then you're going to landmine press for nine reps. So you're going to destroy your shoulders. But you know what? It's once in a blue moon. And that, to me, got exciting. So then it became Wacky Wednesday, where they get to choose as a group <clears throat> different stuff. One one group did just like benching coupled with curls, <laughs> which I thought was like, oh, and then when I started thinking about it, I'm like, dude, that's like just upper body endurance training, which is great for wrestlers. It's great for anybody who needs to build muscle. And then Dave Tate said this 20 years ago. I still remember it. He goes, everybody's so against the bench press. He's like, but if an app, if a teenager boosts his bench press, you boost their confidence. And if you could boost an athlete's confidence, you have a better athlete. He goes, so I don't give a fuck if it's functional or not. And so now I look at training that builds confidence that doesn't just build the body. Mm-hmm. And so for that guy that was like, this is not fun. Well, look, sometimes I don't feel like I'm fun. And then I let the kids give some input. And I got to say this, um, I still make mistakes. Sometimes it doesn't work out and then you got to fix it and, um, you know, react and adjust to it on the fly. Yeah. The, I don't, I don't have a weight room with my guys now, but what we do is essentially, I, I don't have a label for them, but athletic challenges. One of which is shin hop. So if imagine like we, we lay down, not lay down, but we sit down on our shins. So our butts are touching our heels. Shins are on the ground. I'm either in plantar or dorsiflexion, just chilling on my butt. And then you got a violent hip extension pop up. pop up and catch in your athletic position. Yep. Not easy. But introduce it to them, putting them in a position to fail. I know they can't do this. It's this first time movement. But then we come back to it two or three weeks later. So then they start to gradually get invested in some of the things we're doing because Guess what? Even though we didn't do it, pop, and they catch. And it's almost this moment of surprise, confidence in themselves that they're able to accomplish that. If I had weights, you better believe we'd be bench pressing and, and getting confidence there. But we got nothing but body weight out there. Well, you know what else it, it might do is a kid who struggles. Now it's like a um, coachable moment, as you say, Tex, is like, hey, guys, if you struggled on that, I'm not telling you that you can't practice it at home. You might want to work on that at home. Mm-hmm. Or if you think you're too heavy, might be a good opportunity to dial in your nutrition and don't eat, you know, pop tarts anymore. You know, have a, have a turkey sandwich instead of the pop tart. Um, at my high school, the football team is scheduled to train Monday through Thursday. And to me, four days in a row is quote unquote, not correct. It's not optimal. So Thursday is like this fun day. And sometimes it's like a, uh, a full arm day. Other times it's, it's group challenges. So it might be like, you know, you're talking about, you got uh, nothing but body weight. I would say, okay, you're going in groups of four, but uh, you have to have different grade levels. So you can't all be rising seniors or all be rising juniors. So I'm going to say, yeah, five minutes to get as many pushups as possible, but I'm giving you 30 seconds to strategize. What's the strategy? 
you got a guy that weighs 250. You got a guy that weighs 150. I said, now think about this. You know, the next, you know, group challenge is going to be uh, the tire flip. Okay. So maybe the big guys didn't do as many pushups. You might have them do more tire flips. So I just switch. Thursday becomes this kind of blend of all of my knowledge of old stuff. Um, these videos of Dr. Ken training the football team, I borrow stuff from that all the time. So I'll say groups of four, you have to run a lap around the softball team, of, around the softball field, and um, you need one medicine ball, and you have to switch that medicine ball every 50 feet. Well, now the lighter guys or maybe the girls' soccer team wins the whole race because that's their forte. So I pick all these things where you might struggle, you might be good, but it requires strategizing, communication with the team. And, um, you know, I wish I could remember where I've heard some of these things. I forget. Um, it may have been Louie. I know we're talking about Louie a lot, and, and rightfully so. I've, I've learned so much from him. I, I think he was saying, um, talking about on football, sometimes the coaches say, Hey, you know, I want my leaders to go run this. He goes, well, what do you got Four leaders and fucking 50 followers? He's like, I want everybody a leader. And so I started using that phrase at my school, everybody a leader. And so a couple of weeks ago, we did a run around the softball field, which is maybe a quarter mile. And I don't care if that's not quote unquote sports specific for a lineman or a big guy. You're a teenager. If you can't run a quarter mile, fuck that. Like, get, you should run a quarter mile. Well, these two freshmen were trying to stop. <clears throat> they were trying to quit. So these two bigger kids, rising seniors, uh, I was like, oh, where's so-and-so, the other one? You know, it's one of the twins. He's like, he's outside. He's like, some of the freshmen were trying to stop before the lap was done, and he wouldn't let them stop. So I came back in. I was like, dude, you were keeping an eye on them? He goes, yeah everybody's a leader. That's what he said to me. And so you don't know when you're making an impact on somebody. And sometimes um, I, I, I do, I exchange text messages with uh, a, a coach I used to work with, uh, Donnie Pritzloff. I love this guy. Just mentioning his name inspires me. He was extremely successful wrestler, very tough. I exchanged messages with him and his cousin, also a, a, a former national champ. So we do these back and forth exchanges. But I remember once after a training session, um, <clears throat> talking with Donnie, he goes, Zach, you can never give up on a kid because you never know what he could turn into. He's like a kid could for four years, you know, be a thorn in your side, be a headache. He goes, then fifth year, he'll be an All-American. He'll turn the corner. He's like, you never know what somebody can become. And not that I didn't know. But I understood even more so from that conversation that, you know, just play the long game, meaning uh, I'm not interested in, you know, trying to transform you in these next three months. Uh, and I know you guys just interviewed Matt Wenning, you know, Matt Wenning and I and Joe DeFranco were doing a seminar next week. Well, Matt Wenning talks often about how, like, you know, people are just too interested in what they could do in these next three months or three years. He goes, really, you need to be thinking about the next five to 10 years. If I could have known Matt when I was younger, it would have saved me a lot of pain. See, emotionally and mentally, I was crazy. You couldn't really like stop me or slow me down. You know, I did, 
high volume, high intensity, you know, I just destroyed my body. Well, Matt has this saying that I love. He goes, when you're in your 20s, you want to train like you're in your 40s so that when you're in your 40s, you feel like you're in your 20s. And so when I'm training athletes now, I explain to them, why am I switching? Why am I putting you on the Swiss bar? Because I don't care if you're going to compete in college or not. But when you're in your 30s or 40s and you have kids and you could throw that football pain free, I want you to remember that we trained with intelligence and I didn't try to destroy your body. My goal was to preserve your body. Yeah, I, I take the same approach in trying to pull sport coaches away from using conditioning as punishment, as you, yes. you expressed with the, the Marine teacher who used push-ups as punishment because I don't want, and this is really, really long-term thinking, I don't want a negative relationship Correct. with fitness, yes. with hard work. So if, oh, crap, I have to run, I'm going to go through it half, half speed and half motion mm-hmm. you know, with poor body language versus up tall, sprint my butt off and then compete to next to the guy with the guy next to me. I don't care who it is, you know? So it's, uh, it is long-term and there's different tools that we can implement, you know, and label as punishment. Isometrics are a hell of a lot more harder than running a half gasser. Yeah, I'd rather nice. have 60 seconds of dead bugs than oh. a full gasser with 60 seconds. Right. So it's aiming. And then the kid is, physically going to get a hell of a lot more takeaway with that because we're, you know, working on good posture and then mentally it sucks and you can hide in a run with a dead bug. You can't hide. It's clear who goes down and fails while the rest of your team is working hard. So coaches can call them out where they choose to individually in front of the group or, you know, walk up to them in a moment and say, Hey, get your, get your damn legs up. Um, the, the work is there. the gift. The work is the gift. Beautifully said. There's a lot. There's just so much to learn, Tex. That's the beauty of, you know, to even call it strength and conditioning. I know that's what's kind of commonly, you know, I use the word sports performance more. But what the beauty is, is like you're always learning, you know, I didn't learn weightlifting until Travis Mash did um, a weightlifting seminar at my gym. And I think I was 35. So I didn't learn how to do cleans until Travis came around and taught me how to front squat and clean. And so it's exciting to, you know, go down the rabbit hole and try to get better. And so, uh, if you even don't have somebody to uh, be mentored by, right? Like you're, I'm jealous that you guys have all these kind of local colleges. I, I can't even give a uh, internship away, which is a little bit heartbreaking. <clears throat> I remember actually one kid uh, said to me, he's like, I think I've earned my way to just be a coach. I mean, I know how to do all this stuff. Like, again, you might know how to train yourself. And maybe you are a freak athlete. Well, how do you coach a kid who doesn't know how to do a push-up, who can't do a push-up? And uh, this is where parents made a lot of mistakes when, you know, private schools started kind of hiring, you know, the kid that graduated and he was a D1 football player. And they just assume this guy can now be the strength coach. 
I think what's given me a lot of uh, connectivity to kids is all my injuries, my struggles, um, and all the mistakes I have made in communication, which I still make mistakes, but I've been, like you mentioned, do you call somebody out in front? I've called kids out in front of kids, which didn't work. I've sometimes called kids out in front of kids and it does work, you know? And so uh, if you don't have a mentor, what you need to do is uh, really invest, not just financially, but time in your education, meaning um, Matt Wenning is a close friend of mine. We've known each other a long time. When he releases a product, I buy it. I don't say, Matt, send it to me. And then I do the workouts to test and see what it feels like. Uh, Colin, when he began interning, I said, all right, what you're going to do is every morning you're going to come here and you're going to do, I have a ebook called the kettlebell bodyweight hybrid course. It's six weeks of kettlebells and bodyweight. I said, that's what you're going to do every morning. And then you're going to train with the last group of the night. So if we do a four, five, six on Monday, you'll train with a high school kid on Tuesday, you'll train with a middle school kid on Wednesday. You'll do a trial with a kid on his first day. You're going to learn what it feels like from every imaginable angle, you'll train with an in-season athlete, an off-season athlete, a kid who's been with me for six years, a kid who's been with me for six weeks. But it was this constant, like putting him in places where he'd never been. And the best thing to me about Colin, I haven't had an intern for a long time. The best thing was he never said, he never had like an answer, uh, like a rebuttal. You know, I, I would say, Colin, um, you know, when so-and-so asked you how to do the row and he asked, should it be kettlebells, dumbbells, center mass bells? You just said, hey, pick one. He's asking you because he wants to know your answer. So I told him, I said, you know, he's doing four sets. You should have said something like do two sets with a kettlebell, two sets with a dumbbell. Or if it was three sets, one kettlebell, one dumbbell, third set, your choice. I go, so just, rem-, you know, and he goes, because that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to try that next time. Thank you for that. Versus sometimes I've had interns who'd be like, well, this is why I did it, bro. I'm trying to help you. And sometimes I'm just going to tell you the way it is. And that's what we need is this. See today's generation, me working in a high school, nobody gets in trouble text. Like you could do jack shit and still get a B. Whereas if you did jack shit two decades ago, you failed. And so this younger generation coming up has to understand that you might be mentored and it might be pretty damn tough. You know, like Joe Ken was very tough on the guys that interned for him, but guess where they are now in the NFL at division one universities, Adam fight is a professor and in charge of all the interns. It, it makes sense. You need to go through like Louis says, to master martial arts, the training must be severe. And mm-hmm. I posted something on Instagram of like a famous judoka from Japan, and it outlines his workout. And it's like nine hours a day. It's a thousand push-ups, And then it's like max out bench press. Then it's like hopping on one foot for 400 meter. People are, you know, John always says it. They're so upset. First of all, first of all, I don't even know if it's real. It could be fake. It could be fiction, the whole thing, number one. Number two, I'm not saying that's what everybody should do. I'm just sharing something that's inspiring. What can you learn from it? You might say, you know what? 
once a month, I need my own red flag day, a high volume, high rep challenge myself. The other thing might simply be it inspires you to, to work harder today. And the other thing might be that guy's one in a gazillion who has the mentality where he thrives under high volume and high intensity, but nobody wants to dig into the context. They just want to be like, that's just muscular endurance. That's not this. Look, bro, I'm telling you, I don't know if it's true, if it's not true, but what I'm saying is there's a learning opportunity there and you're approaching it with a closed mind. What did John say? Like the, he goes, if you're showing up to this, to, you know, the block one, um, you know, coaching uh, experience and your glass is already full, then what the fuck are you doing here? Mm-hmm. My favorite story of you guys. I, I don't know if you were <laughs> Luca shared it. The dude who in Germany, like ate maybe it was, yeah, in, was in California. He no, ate pizza. <laughs> he ate pizza in the back. And then after during the two the, days during the nutrition lecture, <laughs> And then he wanted the certificate of participation. And I'm so proud of Luke that he's like, what the fuck, bro? It's a certificate of participation. You sat in the back. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, went for a long lunch. I forget which country he was actually from. But, I mean, celebrating a very long siesta in the middle of the day, missing <laughs> lectures. and it's insane. Yeah, different movement components. And then brings pizza back with him to sit in the nutrition lecture. And basically, Luke Luke led that one. And, uh, you know, just, I know Luke real well. And when he's pissed, he dials in. So he's yeah. just looking at this man giving a, a, a lecture in front of 40 people and just trying to really grill and get it in. And then, you know, t- stood his ground following. And um, But there's still people like that. What and we you cannot, you can't be a coach. If you're closed minded, there's something to learn everywhere, even if you don't agree with any of those things. And sometimes it's hard, you know, like I remember when you guys did your certification here in Manasquan, I was dealing with something with my Achilles, something with my ankle. Like I was afraid that if I was going to do any of that, I'm going to tear my Achilles. I could not figure it out. And so I was afraid. I'm like, if I go through this thing and I, what I should have done is gone there and just soaked in what I could have. But sometimes you're just, you know, and you know what actually got me to fix it was I came across an old video of Dick Hartzell, who's the first guy who created the jump stretch bands. And he had this old video from it may have been the early 90s. And in like two or three days, I was able to run again. And I called it the $10,000 ankle. Cause I was going to acupuncture and massage and chiropractic and laser therapy. And, um, you know, I saw Luke Edwards in the uh, conjugate group in Facebook. He said, your the answer is in the gym. You know, the answer is through movement is really the ticket is you have to learn to figure things out and be open-minded to trying stuff. You know, that coach who said, who just sat and ate pizza that there's still people like that. They're not necessarily eating pizza while you're speaking, but they're tuning it out. And how are you going to get good, let alone great, if you're closed-minded and don't want to learn? And you say something like, that's, you know, that stuff was 10 years ago. That doesn't work. You know, John still talks about Zangus, about 
squatting the way he squatted was the wrong way, even though he learned a lot about training. He talks about one of his strength coaches in college who would, you know, if you asked the question, he responded like he was bothered by you. And so I recommend coaches to purchase on eBay, the old strength and health magazines from the fifties and sixties, because Mm -hmm. there's a blend of powerlifting, weightlifting, and uh, like they do a lot of hand balancing slash gymnastics. It's, you know, I know I'm going to, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but when I see some coaches on uh, social, all I see are squats and cleans, you know, there's gotta be, hopefully there's something more than that. You know, there's movement and rotation and jumping and sprinting and free play to build athleticism. You know, who's great. Kurt Hester, you know, he oh, told, yeah. he calls it, calls it a ghetto ball and people of course get upset, but it's essentially like a, I don't know if it's like, it's like an ultimate football, you know, you mm-hmm. have the ball, you're running, you're dodging, you're competing. Um, he, you know, that's a guy too, that always talks about just this open-mindedness to get better. And Kurt, I think is mid fifties, you know, and he's still talking about always getting better. So mm-hmm. if he's still talking about it and he's been coaching for 30 plus years, these younger coaches have to adopt that open-mindedness. You know, even listening to you text during podcasts, you're a list, you're learning from every guest. And it's quite evident. You're um excited and enthusiastic and invested in learning from them. And you've taken the time to read their book. A lot of people won't do that. And that's where you need to be, you you know, books and whatnot are this kind of thing of the past. I I don't know how deep your learning can go if you're only learning from Instagram. There's certainly a lot of amazing YouTube videos, right? Some YouTube videos are an hour long, people sharing a lot of stuff, but you don't want to just learn through the visual. You want to get your books and you want to, you know, earmark them and highlight them and test things out, you know, and then maybe, okay, I read a book from Louie. Now I'm going to watch one of his videos. All right. Now I'm going to, you know, go watch something from Lauren Landau on the speed training. Then I'm going to apply that speed training. I'm going to do those sprints or this warm up that he showed in the video. You got to become this experiment of your own. Yeah. yeah. And you're describing how we develop the, the power athlete methodology course. So it's in the form of a, a written workbook. And I mean, we wrote it, we combed over it. So that way every line meant something within there and how we, we wrote it is, is there's, and I love the quotes. I love the catchphrases, right? Teach movement, not movements. Meaning we're focusing on finding the connections between the squat, the step and the lunge and the sprint and jumping and football and lacrosse and wrestling. So that way we're aiming to, use the weight room to teach athleticism and athletes versus football players. So that's an, an example, but we have those throughout. And then from that one catchphrase, one liner is, you know, a well-written article explaining that. And then paired with the writing, we also have online videos where it's, it's me or John at the whiteboard, you know, explaining it in a very 
socially intelligent way so you can digest it to do one of two things. Apply it to your athletes. So coach and communicate it. Show the parents, okay, this is what we're doing, why we're doing it, and then feel it for yourself. Okay, this is me under the weight, under the stress. This is me sprinting or me accelerating and starting in this different foot position. So it's your ability to communicate it and then your ability to feel it. So that way, okay, I feel what it feels like. I know this one liner on how to do it. Now, which, how many, five different ways can I say this so this individual kid or parent can understand it? So it's, it's blending this different forms of learning, reading in the video, and then we connect it to the program, the strength training program, which is bedrock. So that way you're going through the online course, you're applying the bedrock program and seeing inter intramuscular coordination, You're getting under the bar, you're getting under the bar. Okay. I reset. And then after our first reset, I need to introduce compensatory acceleration. So now I'm 30 pounds lighter on my squat. I introduce speed with the objective of breaking through that plateau. But if we just talked about speed and then told our athletes faster, faster, our athletes, they're not coordinated with, okay, I'm, I'm trying, but my body's not clicking. So we go heavy as hell, fail, decrease the load. This is over a matter of weeks, not just one day. Now they're coordinated enough and they feel it feels lighter. Okay. And then they understand. Exactly. You know what else they understand is by doing cat training, you're able to teach them that we're always doing speed. It's not just when we're sprinting or jumping, you're doing speed work in the weight room. And then like Brett would say, you build that buy-in. Now a kid says, Oh, I thought I had to go to a speed coach. No. This is speed training. Wherever we, you know, whatever we're doing, there has to be that element of speed. I love that you're pairing training with becoming the block one coach, because I'll I'll say this, I've, I've run into some interns at these big D1 universities and they look like maybe they could squat 315. And I'm thinking to myself, you're training guys that are benching 405. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't lifted, look, you don't have to bench 405, you know, especially if you're, you know, five foot seven and, you know, 175 Whoa, pounds. Taking shots right here? No, no. I'm just kind of <laughs> uh, painting a picture of you're probably not going to bench 405 unless you're that big ass lineman, right? What I'm saying is some of these students getting into strength and conditioning are not lifting, they have not lifted. And then they become interns at in these major programs with massive people. You will struggle to relate to anything going through that person's mind if you haven't struggled under heavy lifting. So when I see kids like that, interns like that, I'm looking at like my uh, bookshelf, some old books like, uh, oh, I think I've, I think I've, oh, The Keys to Progress is old book by John McCallum. And he's, it's like, you know, all these old articles, uh, Iron Mind reprinting, reprinted it of like gaining weight and drinking, you know, the, the, the crash weight gain homemade shake that you make with like, they called it like bricks of ice cream. Mm-hmm. You have to go through these struggles so you understand what 
the athletes you're training are emotionally facing when they go under a heavy bar. Because if if you've never approached, if you if you've never approached the squat bar, let's say you're squatting on Monday, you should be thinking about it on Friday night. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what it takes. You should be visualizing the weight. You should be already playing the movie in your head. When I hear a you know young coach you know train with me and they'll be like, "Hey, ready? Let's fucking do this. Uh, kill that weight. All right, I think I'm gonna get two. Think about what I fucking played a movie in my head. I already know I'm getting two, and I know people are gonna hate on me for this. Probably get my car tires slashed. But I, I say, I never saw people miss reps until I saw CrossFit. People would squat, they'd like struggle a little, and then they'd like jump out. Quit or under the bail bar. over their head. Right. Danger. Yeah. Chop off, you know, chop off half of your head. I, that was never an option in the gyms I grew up in. And that was the beauty of coming up in gyms in a time where you didn't have AirPods. Because guess how you had to learn? You had to go and speak to people. Mm-hmm. You had to train hard and build muscle to earn respect, or nobody spoke to you. You had to, kind of watch from the corner of your eye what the biggest, strongest guys were doing. And then you would try to apply it yourself and figure things out. And there needs to be this, you know, strength has lost a lot of respect. It's almost like a bad word in today's field. You know, like, God forbid you mentioned strength uh, when you're talking to parents or when you're talking, you know, everybody thinks speed this, speed that. Well, listen, I always say, I've never seen somebody who's weak, who's so fast or, Hey, he's so weak. That's why he's killing it out there. She's so weak. Thank God. Nobody ever says that, but strength is like still equated with the one rep max, you know, um, dog shitting razor blades, uh, you know, deadlift. There's a lot of ways to develop strength and that's why you have to read about it and experience it yourself. And and that's why I take all of those experiences that I luckily learned from. And I got to tell you, what's like heartbreaking is I don't have a lot of people to share it with, meaning, you know, I've commented on one of your YouTube videos like a month ago. I don't know. There was like 40 views. And I was like, what the fuck is this? 40 views for this amazing information like YouTube sucks. It's like if you're not doing some if if you're not deadlifting with your hair on fire and your weights are made of like gold like YouTube YouTube needs to push up the great information that's not filled with bullshit because why do we have all this information out there but people are still weak people still don't know how to bench press properly they don't know where to line up under the bar or what their wrist position should look like There's a gazillion videos out there teaching it, but that's not the stuff that makes it in front of the masses. And I think that's why we're in this, you know, struggle, why, you know, strength coaches argue over, um, you know, I saw somebody post like Mike Boyle's doing like a split squat. He's like, isn't this the same as a deadlift? It looks like similar motion to a trap bar deadlift. Jim Wendler once said to me, he goes, listen, I don't get, Five. This was before he was doing all that body weight stuff. He's like, listen, I don't get all hyped up to, you know, uh, break a PR on my, you know, split squat. He's like, but you want me to break a PR on a deadlift, a clean? He's like, then we get excited. 
And when I heard him say that, what I'm thinking is that develops an aspect of the mind that a lot of people just don't understand today as coaches that yes, unilateral training is crucial, but not just what it does for athletic athleticism. What does it do for the mind? And that's why you got to train and experiment with a lot of different training and read about a lot of stuff. So you can have that, you know, that big uh, dictionary to pull from. Yeah. And there's, there's so many athletes that develop their, their, their performance lifestyle and success through training and, and attribute it to training versus natural gifts. One of my favorites is, is Adam Nelson speaking with him, uh, several power athlete symposiums and, you know, sitting down at the table, just having open conversations. I look forward to seeing him at summer strong. One of my favorite stories that he shares, Adam Nelson, uh, Olympic gold medalist. And I crazy story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of them, it must've been the the 2000 Olympics because, or, or 2004. I, I can't remember which one exactly it was. It was the, either Sydney or Greece, but Tommy Lasorda of all people. So famous baseball player baseball and manager guy, yeah. for the Dodgers. Yeah. And recognizes Adam through one way or another and sees him in the chow hall, just right at the entrance where all these athletes and coaches are coming in and, you know, speaks with Adam and, you know, you got the game coming up, like Lasorda was commenting on the game versus, you know, just the, the field event. Adam's like, yes, got got the game coming up. And he's like, well, are you going to win? And Adam says, yes, yes, sir, I'll try. And Lasorda in front of this crowded room just loses his stuff. And you got to uh, I'll link it up in here because Adam tells it because he experienced it. But he's yeah. just like, try, try. And Lasorda loses his mind of yes. the, just the word try. Yeah. And one of my favorite stories that sticks with me. And when I hear an athlete say that, like, I'll try. No. And you can we even say like the Yoda. There is no try only do. But like, like, what do you mean? Like, I, I want you to expect to win. That, that's not Lasorda. That's me like give, giving it to the athletes. But this story and I'm going to watch the video as soon as we're off here, man, because it charges me up. Yeah. That this this professional Lasorda coach and former professional athlete himself speaking to another professional and still teaching him lessons that you got this moment, man. And you need, no, I don't, I don't need your best. I need everything you got in this moment to get out there and show the world something. So like, man, that Adam's sharing that and still like there's communication lessons from other coaches. I went on a, a fun reading. I, I read other coaches books across the across the the spectrum of sport and performance and competition, not just training. And I went on a Pat Riley kick. And I had so much fun just learning how Pat Riley was managing the Showtime Lakers and then going on to the Knicks and even a bigger stage and even bigger personalities. And now he's created what's known in the NBA as heat culture and he attracts talent that wants to work hard and win versus just be the man. Uh, so appreciate him. So reading these old, just paper bound books got at used bookstores on the Showtime Lakers, like he's the man. I freaking love Pat Riley from like his his narrative. And now there's an HBO series about the the Showtime Lakers, a dramatization that it's it's fun. It's exaggerating. But um, yeah, man, it, I'd take that 
perspective of learning. And I appreciate, and I got to deep dive into your, your history video, your iron roots videos here. Now I know they're free on YouTube. Yeah. You're going to love them. And, uh, yeah, but if in like this, I attribute it from my dad, who was all into sports and then would communicate on coaches, Lou Holtz, goal setting. And my dad went to North Carolina state. So followed NC state sports because I was D three, like we didn't have a football team, but yeah, Jim Valvano. So the 83 championship NC state, like, uh, win in advance. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. So Jimmy V there. And then certain coaches through NC state history that like Chuck, Chuck Amato, who's Philip Rivers head football coach. Like my dad went to college with him at NC state. And then Lou Holtz was the state coach, then went on to Notre Dame. So my uncle went to Notre Dame. So then my dad was all in on Holtz and like teaching these outlook lessons. Yeah. One of my favorite win, um, Lou Holtz is win. So he'd be on the sideline and just scream at his team, win, win, win. And all the opponents are like, yeah, no shit. Yeah, we get it. You're trying to win. But what does win stand for? It's an acronym. What's important now? So if they make a mistake or if they have a successful play and, you know, the team gets too high on themselves, they're prone to mistakes typically. Yeah. So he's like, okay, awesome play. Good job, team. Now, what's important now? Next Look play. Look how much you're able to learn and pull from all of those coaches. So you're mentioning a basketball coach. You're mentioning a football coach. You're talking about, you know, culture. The, you know, attracting the right people. You know, when you were mentioning that, I was thinking of the guy mm-hmm. at uh, UConn, Gino, what's his name? Aromia? Uh, is the women's basketball or the yeah. men's basketball? Women's basketball. Um, our, our friend, Andrea Hootie's there. I would uh-huh. love to. She Ooh. must be in her awe uh, working with him. There's a video of him talking about, he's at a press conference and it's like his best player. And she's like one of the best players in the country. And they're like, why didn't you put so-and-so in? He goes, cause she's a baby. And he's like, she's pouting. She had a bad attitude. She's like, I don't care how he goes. I don't care how good you are. You have that attitude. You won't ever play. He goes, you won't play ever. That's what he says ever. And he goes, I'd rather lose than allow a player with a bad attitude go in. And now I'm sending the message of like, you could be my best player and I'll let you slide on behavior. And I got to tell you, I've experienced that like our at our school, at the high school, it's not mandatory to lift with me. And so some kids, when it's time to lift, they don't lift or they go to the trainer or they do their own thing. And to me, that that's a sign of you saying a couple of things. Number one, you're saying F you to your coach. You're saying F you to me, which maybe a little bit bothers me. But what bothers me is as a teenager, you can't find one thing to get better here. You're already so good that you only could go to your private coach. You can't train with your team because you go, you do your own thing. What does that say about you as a teammate? And look, I remember what it's like to be 16, 17. I was not very coachable. I wasn't you know, this great teammate, but now I've learned if I could go back and do it all over again, I would sit and talk with my coaches and listen. I would help other kids more. You know, I was very tunnel vision, 
you know, I wasn't really too friendly with the other kids on the team, but I would, you know, go, but nobody gave me any context. You know, like I said, they would be like, get tough, do this. Today, as coaches, we're constantly talking to kids. So I'm always intrigued with like, okay, you're 16, you're 17, you're 18. Like, there's nothing I could do for you in this weight room. So you'll just never show up. You're, you're too good. You're all, you know, what is that? You can't do one set of pull-ups. You can't come in and be a great, you can't like you're, you've maxed out. You can't come in and do some extra lunges or band work. And to me, that is fatal because Mm -hmm. how are you going to college where everything is controlled, right? You're going to, you can't keep saying I have my own coach transfer portal, Zach. And uh, dude, I know you guys were mentioning this, you know, I've been out of division one coaching for a bit, you know, 2014, 2015, Lehigh, 2017, 2018 Rutgers. A lot of kids quit. I'd say at least one a month and a lot of kids transfer out and look, I get it in wrestling. Sometimes you're not going to, sometimes the guy ahead of you is the best guy in the country and you're probably not going to start. Um, but it's real shocking at how people will just, everything is just like, I'll quit. And I, even in high school, um, supposedly they, they said this kid was like the second best kid on the team. He quit because he didn't like something the coach did, or he was going to have to go a different weight class. So he just quit. He gave up a sport that he had done for half his life that he was really damn good at. And it's like, that's the answer. And what if I, now I'm going to take that and apply it to my life. I had an argument with my wife. I quit. My kids didn't listen to me today. I quit. You know, I had a bad meal and now I'm just going to, I quit. Now I'm going to go all bad meals, you know, or um, anything like what? Everything is just so much quitting. You need some grit, some durability. And, you know, to me more now, more so than ever, strength and conditioning is just a vehicle to teach about life. Not that I'm some master and have it all figured out and I've got this great life, but I've been through a lot of tough times. And if it wasn't for the training and my coaches, and now I I apply the lessons from my coaches in high school, I apply them now, you know, not just, not just because it works, but also out of respect for them. They put a lot of time into me and I still speak to my, one of my old coaches, you know, and I try to just make them proud uh, because he put a lot of work into me and I wasn't ready. I wasn't coachable and they were ahead of their time. You know, one of our coaches was showing us plyometrics. And I remember I was like, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> Listen, you know, think I look back, I'm like, what an idiot I was like straight up loser. <laughs> but our coaches were ahead of their time. They were very intense. I wasn't ready to kind of be, um, you know, it was just over my head, but I never quit. I didn't think that was an option. And today it's a constant option. And if you don't quit, somebody could complain and get their way. And uh, I have this conversation with my son. Look, you don't like where you are in the lineup, hit it out of the park. That'll solve a lot of problems. You're not hitting good. Who's stopping you from hitting outside? There's a batting tee. You don't feel you're fast enough. Am I stopping you from running sprints outside? I'm not stopping you. You have all the opportunity in the world. And so A lot of times people are exactly where they want to be and usually where they need to be. 
certainly there's some, you know, wiggle room to that, right? But, you know, look at your lacrosse team, Tex. The best guy is not accidentally the best guy. Neither is the worst guy. He's not by accident weak or by accident slow. Yeah, there's genetics and whatnot. But uh, what what is it that Dan John says and John's spoken about? You guys have spoken about it. You have your uh, genetics, geography, and environment, right? Well, yeah, Dan John's genetics, yes. and geography, and then and John comments and adds opportunity, opportunity. Yes, opportunity. And- Perfect example. I didn't take advantage of the opportunity in high school or when we shared the story about Andre making me cry. Opportunity to learn weightlifting at age 13 could have completely changed my life, but I blew it. And so, you know, genetics, geography, opportunity. And I always say opportunity is always knocking, but some of you refuse to answer the door. Ooh, boom. That's what we got to end on. I love it. That's it, my bro. All right, Zach, dude, thank you very much. I know we, we you, talked brother. about a 60-minute, and we were able to Damn. roll this into two hours. Killed That's it. what happens, dude. Just imagine when we're stuck hanging out with each other for two days at Summer Strong. Yeah. What um, this is going to be. So we're staying in Lake Murray. I'm going with. I'm flying down, and my buddy rented an Airbnb in Lake Murray. It's like 190-something bucks a night. I'm not sure where you guys are staying, but uh, 12, <clears throat> Lake Murray. 12 minutes away. So cool. I think we might be a little further than that, but I'm excited. Where can people go if they want to learn more from you? Uh, go to ZachStrength.com. That's my free newsletter. Um, I've been like kind of on and off social media. Sometimes I get so sick of it. I just kind of delete it. Um, but there's a ton of stuff. There's, I think, like 5,000 YouTube videos. And the Iron Roots playlist is on mm-hmm. my YouTube channel. And check that out. And if you want, if you're looking for mentorship and an opportunity intern, you got Underground Strength Gym up in, Man- are you still Manasquan? Manasquan, which is central Jersey. So um, I need interns because eventually I want people, you know, coaching. I'm not coaching as much as I used to because I'm at the high school and I don't like missing my kids' sporting events. Yes. And yeah. if you need a virtual mentor, you got Zach as well and yep. Power Athlete Academy. Don't sleep we're, on that. We're the ultimate, like, marry us together we're the ultimate zach you're taken all right thank you power athlete nation Bye. now it's time for you to empower your performance head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals and if you like to break a mental sweat too visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete success until next time